You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Amen. Amen. Hey, what a great hope we have in Jesus Christ, right? Amen. Hey, take your seats. While you're doing that, get your Bibles out and open them up to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, We'll be looking in chapter 3 this week, a message entitled, Grounded in Concern Leading to Prayer. Um, We're going to see the example that Paul has for uh, this church in Thessalonica, a a group of young believers, and uh, uh, they needed prayer. And uh, we're going to see how he responded to that and uh, what he did with that. But, you know, as we think about that, I was just thinking in my own life how thankful I am for uh, people who pray for me. Um, I've been so blessed over the years. We've been in ministry for just about 39 years now, and um, I can think of some of the names of people who have prayed. Now, when you've been doing it for 39 years, uh, some of them are in heaven now, and, uh, and I'm very thankful for those folks, too. Uh, my mom, uh, she was a prayer warrior for me. She prayed for me every single day. What a great hope. When I was going through struggling times, when things were going well, when we were thinking about moving, we're planning to get married, all of those things, uh, my mom prayed for me. Uh, Sue's dad. Um, Sue's dad prayed for us on such a regular basis every day, praying for us, praying for our church, praying uh, for the ministry here, asking God to work. Do you have people like that in your life who pray for you like that? I hope you do. I think of Mrs. Gibson. You guys will never know Mrs. Gibson until you get to heaven and find out what a prayer warrior she was and how she prayed for me. The Bells know her. And how she prayed for me and prayed for us and our ministries we were in. And uh, Mrs. Lizelle, a lady from um, out in the Cambridge area who told me she'd pray for me every day. And I think of those people. Um, Dr. Roy Lawson, who was my mentor, who prayed for me and Sue and our family and our kids every single day day. Um, My wife, she's my greatest prayer warrior now, uh, prays for us, prays for our church, prays for me. Um, I'm so thankful I have those people. I hope you have some of those people in your life. And uh, there are some of you in this church, you come to me on a regular basis. Pastor, you know, we pray for you. We pray for you on Tuesday or Thursday, or we pray for you every day. And what a great encouragement that is. And uh, I hope you have some of those people in your life who are doing that. And I hope you are those people in other people's lives. Um, Who do you pray for every single day? Who are you pouring it out for before the Lord every single day? Uh, You know, I've told you before, Sue and I, we uh, pray for each other at the end of the day, but uh, we pray for our kids. We pray for uh, Beth and her husband, Josh, as they're serving the Lord up in Muskoka. And and we pray for Carl and and for his wife, Lindsay, as they serve the Lord at Harvest in Oakville. We pray for their marriages, that God would protect them, that he would watch over them. We uh, pray for our grandchildren. We pray for uh, Daniel and Addie and Wes, and we pray for Malachi and Jessica. We pray for them every single day. And it's a great privilege. And I hope that uh, you have some people who are doing that for you, and I hope that you are doing that for others, because uh, we see it in the example of Paul's concern for the church and how it led him to pray for them, passionate about these people, and it led him to prayer motivated by thanksgiving, as we're going to see. So let's get our uh, Bibles, uh, uh, oh, we've got them open. Let's get up on our feet. We want to honor the Lord as we read his word. And I'm going to start in 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, starting in verse 6 down to the end of the chapter. 
But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see your face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as, as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word that we hold in our hand. We thank you for the example that Paul has given as he just pours it out for this church, pours it out for these people who he was so concerned for and cared so much for. Lord, would you teach us from your word, Lord, what we need to do as we consider these things in our own lives. Lead us, God, we pray. Stir us up in this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. As you're doing that, one of the uh, men in our church, I was talking about this uh, message this week, and as uh, we prayed, he said this in his prayer. We need to hear more messages on prayer because we're not very good at it. True or false? Don't answer that. True for me. Not like it should be. If I, if, if I wasn't so much leaning towards how can I fix this instead of what can the Lord do in this, I thought he summed it up really well. We don't do really well at that. And so we want to focus on that today. But as we do that, we want to get to a little bit of the background so we remember what's going on here. So I'm going to put a map up on the screen. I'm just going to remind you about what's been happening and how we get to this place in the text. And my pointer only goes one way at a time. So I'm over on this map. And, and so Paul, in Acts chapter 16, has been up in Philippi. And, and there they were preaching the gospel. And you remember they got thrown into prison as they're in Philippi. And an earthquake comes and they're released. And they could all go. The, the jailer was about to kill himself. And Paul says, we're all here. We're all here. And that man trusted the Lord that night and his family trusted the Lord that night and, and they were baptized, but they had to get out of Philippi. Uh, they weren't able to stay there. And so they moved to preach the gospel down to Thessalonica. Not very far, but they had to walk. They didn't get in their car, decide whether they'd pay the toll on the 407 and whip down the road for 10 minutes, right? They walked everywhere they went and they go to Thessalonica and they're there for three weeks uh, preaching the gospel. And then, and then it turns on them and uh, the city leaders uh, stand up and they want them arrested and thrown into jail. And, and the Lord preserves Paul and he gets out of town and um, in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, it says, they that, glad, they that, um, they that are, have received the word have come here also. They've turned the world upside down, is what it says in Acts chapter 17. And that was the kind of impact uh, they were having. Uh, but they had to get out of Thessalonica. And so they get out of Thessalonica and they move from Thessalonica uh, to Berea. And then from Berea, they go down to Athens. And uh, the, the earlier part of chapter 3, uh, when they're in Athens, Paul has this a sense of compassion for the people and wondering how they're doing 
knew anything. They've only known the Lord for three weeks when he had to leave. And so he's concerned for them. And so he sends Timothy back to them. And so from Athens, Timothy goes uh, back and he is with them in Thessalonica and he brings a report. That's really what we hear in the text today. And in the meantime, Paul has moved over to Corinth and Paul is in Corinth and that's where everyone believes that are, the scholars believe he's written this letter from. And so um, that's a little bit of the background. So we understand a little bit of the geography and how things have moved around. But uh, now Timothy comes back and in our text, in uh, chapter three and verse six, it says, but now that Timothy has come to us, and now that Timothy has come back to us, and as we take a look at this message in the context of prayer, the first thing I want us to see is the reality of that prayer is focused on thanksgiving. Prayer is focused on thanksgiving. Starting in verse 6, uh, right there it says, But now that Timothy has come back to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through our faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. Do you have a thankful heart? Are you a person who has a thankful heart? Or are you a person who starts your day with, oh, woe is me, life is hard, it's going to be difficult, Um, everybody is against me, it's always going to... Or do you choose to be thankful Paul got kicked out of Philippi, kicked out of Thessalonica, beaten, all of a sudden, and he's choosing not to wallow in self-pity, and he's choosing to be thankful. Our lives are filled with so many things. If we would just stop and take stock of them, where we would be people who are expressing thanksgiving, expressing thanksgiving for all that God does and all of his faithfulness. It doesn't mean those other things don't happen. But if you don't get your eyes fixed into thanksgiving, you'll never handle the difficult things in life well. We need to get that focus right. And Paul has that for them. And in this first, first verse, he points out a couple of things. He uh, brought back the good news to us of your faith. It's the first thing he says. And then of their, their love. The first thing that Paul noticed and Paul realized with them that the, the lessons they had taught when they were there, the preaching they had done, the decisions that they had made, the faith of the Thessalonians was real. They had real faith. Paul had gone there and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would shared with them what Christ had done. They didn't know the Lord. He talked about how Christ had come to fulfill the law, how Christ had come to accomplish what couldn't be accomplished in themselves. He came and he talked about how the Lord came to be the sufficient sacrifice for them. He came and talked about how Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose from the grave. He talked about how Jesus sits on the right hand of God making intercession for them. And then he taught them that they need to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. They need to move their hope from themselves to who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And Timothy comes back and he says, "Um, you should see their faith. You should see their faith. It's so cool to watch them grow up. It's so neat to see the way they're developing in their walk with the Lord. It's so neat to see they didn't lose what God had done. 
Now, we need to understand a couple of things about faith. Faith is not believing about something. Faith is not believing about something. Faith is believing in something. Satan believes that Jesus Christ was God. He knows that. Satan knows that Jesus Christ came to the earth. Satan knows that Jesus Christ died on a cross for the sins of people. Satan knows that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Satan knows that Jesus Christ sits on the right-hand side of God, making intercession for the people. He knows all about those things, but he's not putting his trust in those things. You believe there's one God, you do well. So does the devil and trembles. See, faith isn't believing about something. Faith is putting your trust into it. Now, let me give you two illustrations kind of from my own life as they revolve around the CN Tower. And uh, you know that whole um, edge walk thing? That's for ridiculous people. Um, you have to be nuts to put on that little red suit. I've sat in the Jays game and I look up there and I go, oh, those people are crazy. Now, in my head... I know you put on that little red suit and they strap you into all that stuff and you're hooked in and, and you can lean back 1,100 feet off of the earth's crust and you're going to be safe. I am never doing that. As a matter of fact, I have a friend whose wife gave him four tickets so he could take three friends to go to the edge walk and lean off of the back, lean off and he said, you want to come with me? And I said, I don't even have to pray about that. I am not going. See, intellectually, I know that, that that harness will hold me up. I know the rope will hold me up. I know. But it's only nutty, crazy people who are actually going to put their trust in that thing. So here's another thing about the CN Tower. The first time I ever went up, we go up in the elevator, and I was fine in the elevator. I could like shake my knees and hug the wall and all the rest of it. We get to the top and we get off. I don't remember how far it is, but you come around this corner and there's this piece of glass And you're supposed to walk on it. Yeah, I'm never doing that. I watch the little kids roll around on it, but people jump up and down. You people are idiots. What are you doing? See, I'm never doing that. I know it'll hold me up, but I'm not putting my trust in that. And that's the difference. See, that's what faith is. Faith is when you put your trust into whatever the thing is. And in this case, faith is the transfer of our trust from who we are and what we trust in into the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. That's why salvation is so amazing and so simple because I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. I can't work for it. I just have to transfer my trust. I'm going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God in, this, in the understanding that the only reason I'm there is because of what Jesus Christ has done. Paul was moved by their faith. Have you transferred your trust from what you thought you could hope in and what you thought you could do and put your trust in Jesus Christ? That's the work of salvation. That's the work of the gospel. It's a decision you make. You believe this was done for you. And you're going to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you haven't, you can and you can today. When Paul thought about that church, 
One of the things that was such a great motivator for him was this faith that happened in their salvation. And we have saving faith and then we have growing up in Christ faith and all of that was a great encouragement to him. And so the first thing he saw was, he heard about was their faith. And the next thing he saw about was their love. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later in the text. But um, those were two things. And um, they also had a fond remembrance of him, which was a great encouragement to him and gave them great joy. It was kind of like, okay, we live out of when this God's doing this stuff, when people are being changed, when lives are being saved, when, when reconciliation is happening, when restoration's going on. It was like, that just turns my crank, he's saying. Um, it was focused towards thanksgiving. You know, it's, it's great when we have a story of what God is doing and uh, we need to tell those stories. If there's a God at work thing going on in your life, you need to tell people about that God at work thing that's going on in your life. Look, look how Paul responds to this. And if you have a story, you need to tell your story. And if, if you hear a story of what God's doing, you need to rejoice in that story, uh, just like he did with these people. Um, in verse 9, it says this. It says, uh, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Paul had a level of anxiety about their situation, and he wanted to help them. Um, and when he got the good news, he was filled with joy. When he got the good news of the report, he was filled with praise. And so where does God's working and thankfulness intersect in your life? What is that looking like for you? How much time do you take moaning and complaining about things over rejoicing and giving God thanks for all that he has done? Because the, one of the things for Paul in this text we see, the concern that was leading to prayer, it caused him to come to great thankfulness. Well, the text doesn't stop there. Down in uh, verse 10, we see another thing um, in concern leading to prayer. This is prayer focused on intensity. Prayer that's focused on intensity. The first words of that verse say, as we pray most earnestly. It wasn't a passive thing that he did. It wasn't if he had time to do it. He, he did it. And he prayed earnestly. He was passionate about these people. He was concerned for them. And, and he wanted to make sure that he was crying out to the Lord for them. I love the verses in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That's a firm foundation. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence... Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. For Paul, this prayer, this earnest prayer, it wasn't just something, okay, I got to get that off my to-do list because on my to-do list for Jesus, I need to make sure I take care of my wife. I need to make sure I take care of my kids. I need to make sure I read my Bible. I need to make sure I pray. Uh, and That's the way we are. Check, check, check check. This wasn't just a, I got to get this off my list. He was passionate about this. He cared about this. He wanted to see God do something in their lives. So I got thinking about the way I pray or, or don't pray sometimes. And some of the things that I should consider in this as I earnestly, passionately 
pray for the things that God puts on my heart. I thought some, some of the ways we pray. Um, prayer is a vocal thing. Um, in Scripture, you see it. Now, can you pray quietly in your heart and all the... Yeah, we do that when we have a prayer night here. When it comes to time of confession, we just get on your knees or you get before the Lord and quietly in the moment, you allow God to search your heart. And it doesn't have to be out loud all the time. But we also see in the Scripture, shout to the Lord, all the earth. And cry to the Lord, all the earth. And sometimes our prayers are so quiet and so passive. And when we talk, we're, we're afraid to raise our voice in excitement. You're going to watch a football game maybe this afternoon or curling, depending on what you prefer. And, and, and you're going to get excited about it if that's your thing. And, and, and you'll cheer for it and you will. But we come to the Lord in some passive kind of way when you need to cry out to the Lord. There should be tears rolling down our face sometimes when we come to the Lord for the things that are on our heart. And so a prayer is a vocal thing and we need to cry and we need to shout. Now, I understand that just making a big noise doesn't make your prayer real. Uh, Jesus warns of this with the Pharisees. He talks about how they like just to be heard for all of their words and all of the rest of it. So at the end of the day, this comes down to the heart behind it. But sometimes when we pray, we need to vocalize and your kids need to hear the passion in your prayer and your wife needs to hear the passion or your husband needs to hear the passion in your prayer. Your parents, your family, when you're praying with friends, they need to understand this is serious business between you and the Lord. Paul is crying out to these young believers because he's seeing what God is doing. He's seeing how God is working. He wants God to take care of in the midst of all of the attack they're coming under and the pressure they're facing. And he cries out to the Lord and he shouts to the Lord and prayer is done through our voice. It's also done through expression in our physical body. It's done in expression in our physical body. Some of you haven't been on your knees ever or not for a long, long time. You know, before the service, one of the things that I do and most of the guys here do is we get down on our knees before the Lord. Because if God doesn't show up in this service, nothing is going to be accomplished. And if we can't get down before him and kneel down before him, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, we need to, we need to kneel. Sometimes we need to lay out flat on the floor crying out to the Lord when things are overwhelming for us and we don't know what to do. Sometimes we need to stand. Sometimes we need to sit. Sometimes you can lay down. But the expression of your body expresses your heart before the Lord. When was the last time you knelt when you prayed? I saw a thing on Facebook just this morning and the guy was saying, push your shoes well under your bed at night. Now we leave ours at the door, but push your shoes well under your bed at the night so there's room to kneel when you get up in the morning. Okay? Paul was uh, passionate about this prayer for them. He did it with intensity. Um, prayer can be done in public and done in private. We need to pray privately. We need to pray in our homes. You need to pray in your small group. You need to, um, we need to have corporate prayer. That's all part of what we do. Paul prayed earnestly for this church. I wonder who we are earnestly praying for. I couldn't think about going to bed without praying for that person. 
And that's the, there's those people that will always be on that list. And then there's people who get on that list because of what they're going through right now. And you couldn't think about closing your eyes and tucking it in at the end of the day until you prayed for them. Paul prayed, he prayed earnestly for them. It's a matter of your heart, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Our prayers should be intelligent prayers. They should be discerning prayers. They should be accurate prayers. We should be praying things that are true to God's word. We shouldn't be praying things that we know are outside of God's word for us. Lots of people, they come and they go, oh no, the Lord told me. No, he didn't tell you because the Bible says otherwise. So don't pray for things that go against God's word. So we pray accurately. We pray according to the will of God. We pray for the will of God. We pray prayers that put him first. Earnest prayers believe that in heaven, no matter how difficult it gets, when our prayer gets there, it's clear before the Lord and the Lord understands it. Sometimes you'll go through a trauma in your life. You'll go through a difficult time and you'll be crying out to the Lord and you don't even know what to say. You don't even know how to say it. And because that's the burden that's there. I love what Paul said in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, verses 26 and 27. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. One more thought about earnest prayer. Earnest prayer doesn't give up. Earnest prayer doesn't give up. Teddy, one of our elders, and his wife just returned home from uh, going to his homeland where um, he went to a funeral for his sister. She knew the Lord and praised the Lord for that. Uh, but while they were there, um, Teddy and Rose, um, who have been praying for his mom for a long time, presented the gospel to her, and over the period of time that she, they were there, she trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior. See, earnest prayer doesn't give up. And, and some of you have some of those people in your life. It might be an elderly person. It might be one of your kids. And a, Hey, take the example from them. I remember Sue and I were at their house just after Christmas, and, and they were talking about, they said, Pastor Paul, you said once in a sermon, as long as there's breath, you don't give up. As long as there's breath, they don't give up. And you're like, you might be sitting there going, well, come on, Pastor. Well, there's the proof of how God works in it right there. Teddy's mom knows the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. They didn't give up up. We don't give up either. He prayed earnestly for the church, and we need to pray earnestly for those who are around us. So that's, the first, that's one thing. Here's another thing we find in the text, that the prayer was focused on frequency. Look at uh, verse 10, the second part. And we pray most earnestly night and day. Night and day. Um, that requires discipline in our lives, but that's what he did. Every place he went, Paul's prayer list got longer. Uh, I'm sure his ability to spend time working got shorter because he just kept praying. All these people, he's got them on his list and he keeps praying for them and praying for them night and day and night and day. And it takes discipline to pray. It takes discipline to pray. And uh, that's what he was doing. Um, 
I've learned as I'm recovering from this heart attack that I had that I have to have some new disciplines in my life. And one of the disciplines is in what I eat and what I don't eat. And I'm working really hard at making good decisions about that in my life. Another thing I have to do is I've got to walk five times a week. I've got to get out and do a timed walk or else when I go meet the guy on Tuesdays, he's going to give me that look and I don't want to see that look. And so I get out there and I get that done and uh, I've got to do that. It takes about an hour. I got to discipline myself to get that done. Uh, which reminds me this past week, because it's cold, I was up doing that in the mall. And uh, I'm walking around the mall, you're going around and around and around. You're walking around the mall for the better part of an hour so you can get five kilometers in. And, and uh, I meet people from our church as I'm going. And so this is just a little off the, top, off the side uh, rabbit trail. If I do that to you and I don't stop and talk to you, it's not because I'm mad at you. I might be, but that's not why. I, I can't stop and talk to you because I'm doing a timed walk. And uh, last, uh, when I was there the other day, like there were like five people. I'm just like, I'm out of here. They think I hate them. They think I hate them for sure. So, um, so I'm telling this so you all know and be aware of that. I, as I was walking the other day, I walked and I was going around through the food court. That's a real test to my own discipline. To, I'm not stopping at any of the booths. And I came upon one of the couples from our church who were eating Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> They're here today. They're on the worship team. Both of them. <laughs> Be gentle, they can eat Kentucky Fried Chicken. I just can't, right? I have to discipline myself to get out and do that walk. It's part of what I have to do if I'm going to be healthy. We have to discipline ourselves if we're going to pray. It has to become part of the, the routine of what we do every day in our lives. I love that he says, he doesn't just say, I just do it when I get a chance. I, he doesn't say, yeah, you know, I, 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 on Tuesday at three, if I think of you, then, I, then maybe I'll pray for you. He says, this, these people are coming out before him in prayer all of the time. First Thessalonians 5, we're coming back to this before this book is done. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Take every opportunity to pray. Pray when you're in your car. Pray when you're at the table. Pray during your quiet time. Pray while you are out exercising. You know, one of the neat things that this walking allows me to do, especially on Tuesdays, is on Tuesday at uh, 10 o'clock, we have a staff prayer time. And then at 10.30, um, I have a little bit of time uh, before I have some more meetings that happen every Tuesday morning. And I come in here and walk. And I come in here and walk because I have to do the discipline of getting steps and I got to get that done, I got to get that done. But when I come in here and walk, I do one of two things. Either I listen to scripture while I'm walking, or I pray for you. I just walk around the room and up and down the aisles and around. It takes a lot of walking around these aisles to get to like 1,500 steps, right? And as I'm walking, I, I think about where people sit. So if you want to get prayed for on Tuesdays, quit moving around. <laughs> okay, because you confuse me. But, but we're creatures of habit, right? Dave Naismith, that, that's his seat. If you sit there, he might move you, okay? That's where he's going to be, right? And you sit right there, and you sit right there, and you guys always sit right there. And so when I'm walking around, I can pray for people, right? Use the time, redeem the time. I'm going to kill two birds with one stone, but I'm going to pray for people. 
Do you do that? When you're driving down the road, you think, oh, I know a family lives over here. Do you pray for them? Or you're going by the church, you pray for the church. Or you're, whatever it might be, just use the time well uh, that you pray with your kids. Don't miss the opportunity to pray with your kids, with your spouse. And when someone asks you to pray for them, do it. Don't say you'll do it, do it. Like right then, say, let's stop. Let's pray about this right now. And then you continue to pray for them, but every opportunity says night and day, night and day, earnestly pouring it out for this church because he cared for them. He wanted what would be, what would be best for them, what would bring glory to God. This earnest night and day prayer it tells us what Paul was asking for. There's two things in the text. I'm sure there were lots of other things on his mind, but he prayed for two things. One of them, he says, I pray that I will be able to see you. He wanted to be able to get back and be with them. He wanted to be able to get back and encourage them. He wanted to be there with them and he couldn't be with them. And, and he's just crying out to the Lord, Lord, would you open up a door of opportunity so I can go, so I can be with them. And the second thing he prayed for, that, that he would be able to be there to supply what was lacking in their faith. The, he'd only been there for three weeks, remember? And, and then out he had to go and he wanted to go back and disciple them. He wanted to see them built up. And I just couldn't help but think about, sometimes we are the answer to our prayer. Right? They needed to be discipled and he wanted to be there. Why? Because he wanted to do what he could do to help this church to grow up in Jesus Christ. And so when you pray, don't just pray thinking, okay, Lord, give this job to somebody else to do, but rather, Lord, how can I be the answer to that in somebody's life? That's what he did. God, he prayed for them. He prayed with intensity. He prayed with frequency. And here's the next thing. His prayer was focused on sovereignty. His prayer was so focused on sovereignty, the fact that God was in control. Verse 11, it says this, and now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus. See, he understood where the power was. He understood where the authority was. If this thing's going to get done, he understood it was God who was going to do it. He understood that God was the creator of the heavens and the earth. He understood that God was the one who gives another heartbeat. He understood that God is our sustainer. And so as he's crying out, I love that he comes back to focus this back on God the Father and the working of the Lord Jesus Christ because God is in control. And when you pray, you pray with the Lord, how can I be the answer to this? But the reality is God is the one with all the authority. God is the one who delivers in these prayers. And we need to cry out to him and remember who we're talking to. Lord, I need you to come through for this, these people, whatever this situation is, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But Lord, you have to be the answer to this. There's nothing that gives me more confidence or comfort in standing up and preaching on Sunday and Saturday night than knowing that I can't change anybody's heart. I can't. I can do the best thing I can. I can make your emotions go up and down. I can do all of that, but I can't change your heart. Only God can do that. And I pray, and I pray, and I realize that God has to come through. So just in the preaching of the word, the Lord has to come through. In our prayers, our earnest, we're not giving up prayers. And we're dependent on the Lord to come through on these things. And he is sovereign, and he is in control. And I have to leave the results to him, but I pour my heart out before God. What would you have me? That's what Paul was doing. And that's what he did for these people. Okay, here's one last thing. He had a prayer that was focused on faith. 
uh, verses 12 and 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Some things that we see in this text was um, he prayed for their growth. He said that they would increase and abound. Specifically says in love. In love for one another and in love for all. He's praying that they would abound and grow in love for one another. The people who are in this little church that's just started, but, but their influence is going all over the place. He's asking, Lord, help them to grow in their love. God, help us to grow in our love for each other. At Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region, would we be known as a church where the people love each other because of what Jesus Christ has done? Yeah, we're all different. We all have our different opinions. We all do different things in different ways. But the one thing we have, the only reason we're in this room together is because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And the thing that he was so encouraged by was their love for each other. He mentioned it earlier. He mentions it again here. Would that be our story? Would that be what God does in us? That we would abound in our love for each other that we'd be growing up in our love for one another. Or one another here, and then he says, for all. For all. In ground, increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Well, who's the for all? Well, it's for other believers, for sure. I remember in the first chapter, he says, uh, from, uh, for, from you went out the message to Macedonia and Achaia. See, this little young church, they love the Lord, and their story's getting to be known everywhere. We don't have to talk about it. Wherever we go, they're talking about the way you love each other. And people should talk about the way that we love each other in our church and how we love each other in the body of Jesus Christ and how we love the unlovable as well. That ought to be our story. That ought to be what we're going for. And Paul's praying, Lord, help them to keep growing up in this. Help them to keep getting stronger in this. Keep working in their lives in this for your glory, Lord. 1 John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He prayed that um, they would be established in their hearts, that their eyes would be fixed on Christ. He prayed that they would be blameless in holiness. And we're going to expand into that next week as we uh, take a look at their walk. And and then he prayed that they would um, look forward with great hope. That they would look forward with great hope. Look at the uh, very end. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. He knew this church was going through the pressure. He knew they were going through the difficult things. And he's just praying, Lord, keep their eyes fixed on you. Keep their eyes fixed on the hope. Keep their eyes fixed on that Jesus is coming again. We're all going to be with him together. Keep their eyes fixed on that so they don't lose hope. They don't lose sight. And God, you continue to work in them. You continue to do what you're doing. You do it, God, for your glory. Well, so what? Paul's love for his church, for this church, moved him to pray. Prayer based on thanksgiving. He did it with an intensity about him. 
He did it not giving up. He did it frequently. He did it with a hope in the Father and God and his working and the finished work of Christ. He did it with a a faith that was focused and asking God to do some things. See, Paul lived in a world where he had seen what God could do. God, you did it for me. I believe you can do it for them. God, I want what you want in their lives. And he prayed. And he prayed. And he prayed. And he didn't give up. Well, what about us? What about us this week for the people God puts in our heart, the people in our small group, the people in our family, our our neighbor who doesn't know the Lord? Are are we going to pray like that? That God would do a work that only he can do, that he would get all the fame, he would get all of the glory. God help us, God help me, that we would have that kind of passion and God would work for his fame in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of of Paul the Apostle and the way that he worked, the way that you used him. Lord, in the very first chapter of this book, we talked about, um, he talked about how they became imitators and then they became examples. Lord, I pray that the things that we see and learn in him, uh, Lord, we could take those things and we can imitate those things, that we would be an example of how you work and what you do. And so God, work in us, work in me, Lord, to pray more consistently, more passionately, more frequently, looking to you for the answer with great faith in my prayer, asking you to do, Lord, what only you can do. For the fame of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.